0: We sh- oh, okay, that one only did one. Move on to the next part. So we are going to talk today, if you read about blessed be the tie that binds and you read that God is love, then the lesson today hopefully will really, um, really have an impact on all of us today because what we're going to talk about today is God helping to teach us how to be loving people. Um, so it comes down to a, a, uh, a concept that we get out of the book of Hebrews, and out of the book of Hebrews. So there's some good stuff that's going on there. Um, and for the sake of our of our lesson, I'm going to stick with my text. You know, I, I ter- I'm terrible sometimes about, I like to write things out, and I like to have them scripted out, but that's just how I operate. Um, I know some people are really good about just standing up and, you know, they just deliver, but I like to have a... a I'd like to have something to follow. So we're talking today about about, um, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And the first verse uh, says this. It says, let the love of the brethren continue. And so that's the essence of today's lesson. Um, Because when you think about this, I, I know the picture up here on the wall is a little pixelated, but it says this. It says, I love you for all that you are all that you have been and all that you're yet to be and i believe that god loves us with that kind of love he sees where we've been he knows what our past is he knows where we're at right now but he also knows where we're headed and i think that's a wonderful thing because god uh i think has great things in store for us um but that brings up a kind of a problem because to be honest loving people is hard loving people is hard uh If it was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, It seems nowadays when you watch the news, hatred is far easier than love. And that seems to be, um, for all the different reasons you can think about about what's being broadcast, uh, I would hope that we would get back to some more sanity publicly, but at least individually we can work on our own hearts, right? We can be more loving people. And I know the real core problem with this is is something that um, all of mankind has, We have this problem called sin. Sin is disobeying what God commanded us to do. And so when we think about that, there's lots of sin in the world, and that's causing a lot of problems. Um, I don't necessarily believe people are born into that. I think that that people, when they're old enough, they choose. And oftentimes we choose ourselves, or we choose sin, or we choose society over choosing God. And so there's this problem that God is love, and God teaches love, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux said this, he says, love is the art form above all arts. Um, God is the author of it, and and we see some of that in the nature of people, but it's something that we have to learn in great detail to apply. So loving people can be tough. It can be really tough. But, but we're taught in Scripture that in Hebrews chapter 13, remember this book is written later, this is to a people who were jewish in nature they were hebrew in nature and so the writer of hebrews is trying to encourage this crew after spending some time around hebrews 10:25 till at the end of chapter 12 around 25 he's kind of been you know we call it the carrot and the stick and he's been using the stick he's kind of been disciplining them and now he softens it up by saying here's some final remarks about how Jesus does not change. So here's how you behave. And in Hebrews 13.1, he says this, he says, let the love of the brethren continue. In other words, there's some things that we have to realize this. um, Love is the basis of Christian fellowship. It's what brings people together. It surpasses uh, race. It surpasses gender. It surpasses creed. Um, you're talking about love being the basis and foundation for people to be able to look uh, past those things and to look into the heart of people and find out what really is going on inside, because this is where Jesus works, right? He works in, in here, wanting to encourage and change people from the inside out. And when you look at um, Christian fellowship, love then is its holiness that's lived out among the body. It's how we behave. It's how we act here among, among our, our fellow man and fellow... Of a woman, um, and so really, when you think about this, uh, the Hebrew Church at the time—I mean, imagine what it would be like for someone to be the only family member to say, "I will follow Christ. I'll obey the gospel." You can imagine what would happen to that person with the rest of the family. They might be excommunicated, right, or kicked out, or they might be disdained. I know of a Muslim man once that was converted to Christianity, and he knocked on the door. And, he, and his dad looked at him and turned and walked away and never spoke to him again for his entire life. And I think that's a terrible thing. But that man said following and loving Christ was more important because that's what the truth of the scriptures are. And, and, and unfortunately, his family, he knew what it cost him. It cost him that connection. Uh, but so people are looking because they're, the, the the traditional bound, you know boundaries and connections go away. They're looking for a safe harbor. And the safe harbor has to be the church. The church is the body. It's the, the ecclesia, the, the ones who are called out of the world. And we gather together as the body so that we can make that safe harbor for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Um, and it's based on that spiritual life that is found in Christ alone. It is a, a way of living. It's, um, it's, it's who we are. It's, it's deep down inside the conviction that this is right. That this is true. Um, think about this. of a church fellowship based on anything less than that, less than Christ, remember in 1 Corinthians 3, other foundation can no man lay than that which is Christ Jesus. So here you're standing on the foundation of Christ, and now we all have a common platform that we can communicate on and we can work together and enjoy our fellowship together on. So that's important. So, what does the Bible specifically say about this? Well, it says that we are to let this love continue. And so, there's three things about that passage. As short as that passage is, it is packed. It is packed, and let me show you, I'll share three things about that. The first thing is, when you look at that verse, it means that there is love that is existing. And so I kind of believe we just established that. This is our foundation, right? Jesus Christ. That means that between you and I, if we are claiming fellowship by Christ. That means by definition, we love each other. Now, I'm talking about what the Bible teaches as love. Um, in, in, the, in the English context, we really only use one word um, that describes that. In Greek, there were actually four words, and I, I won't go into all those details, but but we're talking about the Christian love that would be shared among brothers and sisters in the church. We're talking about that kind of love that would sacrifice itself for others. That kind of love that would esteem others as better than ourselves. It was that kind of love. Remember in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. We just sang that song. And because God is love, remember in 1 John 2, he sends Jesus down. in He is God becoming flesh. And he didn't die just for our sins, he died for the sins of the whole world. So anybody that will come to him and obey the gospel message can have the same effect that he would give the people that he died for right, that were killing him on the cross all the way until whenever he decides to come back. Anybody that will obey the message can have the same effect. They can have forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit in heaven. So long as you live a faithful life. So love is one of those things that lays its life down for another. That's Jesus laying his life down for us. It, it's us obeying the commands of Jesus because we love him. So there is something in Hebrews 13.1 first that says there's love extant. It's there. I think the second thing that we notice, and this is important, that there's something about brotherly love that it's like a fire. It's like a fire notice the embers here up on the wall. Can you imagine this fire, if you were to take a pair of tongs, you know those big fire tongs, and you were to just take one of these and then just set it out by the edge of the dirt there on a, on a campground, right, where your campsite is. What do you think would happen if we just took one of these embers out and just set it outside? Well, probably it would die, right? It would quickly go out. But if we leave it right here where it's at, it'll be used up for sure. But it would be used up giving heat, giving warmth to those that are around. Maybe these kind of embers are the real good hot ones, right? The white hot ones that are good for cooking. You ever do some camp cooking, right? Do your aluminum foil and put it on there and let it roast. Um, it, it, and that kind of fire produces a very good heat. You'll be warm for a while till you climb in your sleeping bag. It'll be good for roasting marshmallows or a hot dog. It's all, that's the good fire. Yes, it'll be used up, but it'll be doing what it ought to be doing, the way it was intended. So there's something about when Christians gather together on the foundation of Christ and we bond together in that spirit of unity that we have to work on staying together so that God can use us in the way that he intends for us to be together. Think about it. If we were to run away from the church, it's like that ember that we take out of the fire and we set it off to the side and we forget about it, and or we leave the church and we forget about God, what happens to our spirit inside? It dies. And so there's something about that love that has to be tended to. It, it requires affection. It requires um, attention. It requires that we work on forgiveness. We work on getting along together. We work on communicating to one another. It's an important thing when you think about it without which uh, attention to that fire it would eventually die. It needs to be fanned into a blaze. It needs tending to. And so we need to think about that. Um, Rome had this saying. Back right at, during Jesus' time and right after as the Roman Empire was the relevant power, there was a saying that said, let all the people of the earth uh, see the Roman hearth, see the burning of the Roman hearth. And the idea was, look at how how wonderful Rome is. Look how wonderful the Roman Empire is. Um, how warm and loving. Now, I, I don't know about how warm and loving Roman centurions were, but the idea was, we love to be a part of Rome. Don't you love to be a part of God's church? It's a wonderful thing to be a part of. It's a good thing, and it's worth working on. And the third thing that I want to point out about this verse, this is important. Now, imagine, if you will, that... When we, if we were to take out that ember and it were to, to just die away, what would be happening in that process? Well, I believe that Satan would be working. He'd be working very hard because he wants to take away that burning desire, that love for God in our hearts. He wants to do everything he can to pour cold water on our love for God, on our love for each other. And think about this. Um, most of the frictions that come in relationships... Come because of communication breakdowns and and one and instead of speaking to a person and listening to a person we speak at a person we preach at people no we don't preach at people we preach to because when, when I focus on the individual person and I care for that individual person because Christ loves me and so therefore I love other people that's going going to change how we communicate and instead of uh, speaking out of anger or speaking out of harshness or speaking out of hatred, we're going to speak out of, from a position of love. Now, those may be challenging words. Make no mistake. There are things that Jesus said that are challenging for us to have to follow. But, it, but it's out of a spirit of love and desire for the success of the other person. It's putting other people first. Because in truth, if we're a Christian, it's not about us. It's about Christ. It's about others. Amen. So I want to show you some things in Scripture about how do we help to keep that love ablaze. Well, the first thing is in Romans chapter twelve, and in Romans chapter twelve ten, the Bible says this. The Bible says, "Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another." You, you, you hear that, right? Be devoted to one another. Devotion requires commitment on my part, right? devotion requires a sense of sacrifice of myself for the benefit of the other person. It might cost money. It might cost time. It might cost some energy. It would it definitely costs you in love, because nobody promised that the people that we choose to love are going to love us back, and that doesn't mean we wear our heart on our shirt sleeve, but it does mean that we practice love, and we that's our, our base. If we were to give in to the hatred and the and the anger, that might lead to some violence, that might lead us to just have really pretty negative thoughts in our hearts, and it really takes away, it's a de-energizing thing, right, it takes away from what we really want, which is a healthy relationship, we want somebody to listen so that they understand where we're from, right, ultimately don't you want to understand and be understood, that's the highest form of praise, right, we really get it, Oh, that's where you're really at. Okay, wow, Wow. we just made a connection. If we do that based on love, think of how many problems we can solve in the world today. Thousands and thousands of things. Less killing, less violence. Loving our brethren, being devoted to one another, fueling that fire of love with devotion to Christ and each other. Um, I remember in college, um, Dwight and Barbie Smith. um, Barbie passed away from cancer many years ago, but Dwight's still there. And he was the campus minister at Harding University. And while we were there, a buddy of mine, we were driving back from the break, but we arrived a day early, and the dorms were not open yet. And so we asked for a place to stay, and Dwight and Barbie opened up their home. They said, you can stay here tonight, and then when the dorms open up, you you can go in your room. Uh, Well, we arrived uh, late afternoon. And I remember we walked into, uh, Barbie invited us into her house and we were waiting for Dwight to come home from the office and she opened up some snacks and we stood around a buffet that was, you know, you know, a buffet and we're just kind of standing there, and there's stuff laying out to snack on. And she started asking questions. We didn't know each other very well. I knew he was the campus minister, but there were 4,000 students at the time. It, wasn't, it wouldn't be surprising if someone didn't know us very well. Uh, so she just started drilling us with questions uh, are you dating you know, do you, you know are you in a relationship? Uh, what's your major right when do you graduate? Um, do you like harding? you know what are what activities are involved in what's your social club? I mean she didn't let us get out of there until she knew everything about us. <laughs> but we did it out of a spirit of love. We were just snacking and talking and just it was a very natural thing. Isn't it good when somebody shows that much devotion where they're zeroed in, and they want to know about you. They want to know about your real story. I just think that's a wonderful thing, to be devoted to one another. I think the second thing, and that's something Barbie really taught me, um, because, you know, think about this. This is the kind of devotion that I think a a father would give their child. I know I like that. Uh, My son right now is in Carlsbad with his uh, school buddy. They're enjoying the beautiful beach, and I miss him, but... Uh, but it, I'm glad that he's there, but this is the kind of attention you can see. I think that's what um, God would want us to give to each other. It's not, not treating uh, people as, you know, a and child, but just treating each other with attention, with focus, with that desire to know and to be known. Um, I think secondly, when you look in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, I believe values like loving each other are caught. They're not taught. Isn't that interesting? Um, I can remember um, stories. Maybe you can remember a story like this, too, where uh, my grandmother tells this story of of, uh, uh, the boys next door that were renting her rent house many years ago. And there were four of them, and she said, Look, there's too many of you. One of you be the the leader, and you collect the rent, and you come pay the rent each month. Well, one time, as uh, they were... um, she was collecting the rent. The problem was, on the back porch, these boys had a, were drinking. Now, they were quiet, but they were drinking. Now, I don't, I'm not a fan of drinking at all, but they were leaving a mess. And she said, you know what? I said, one, I don't like it. I'm a Christian. I don't think that's right. But she said, you know what? Instead of kind of fight about it and, you know, be the landlord, which, you know, by rights she could do, she just called that leader over one time and said, all right, you're in charge of these boys. You're the oldest of them she said, I just have never seen a back porch all messy like that. That's all she said. And he looked at her and said, okay, ma'am, that'll never happen again. And from that point forward, there was never a mess back there. It's that kind of gentleness, right, that we like. It's laying the truth out there. He caught it, right? He didn't have to be taught it, right? It didn't require a lot of friction, a lot of anger or power. It just required someone to roll the ball out. And, and let that person realize where uh, where they needed to go. So you notice in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, it's let the love of the brethren, now as to the love of the brethren, you don't need people to write to you because you've been taught by God. How does God teach us except through his word? When we read about things in his word, what do we learn? We learn that Jesus loved us and died for us, right? He hung on the cross and said, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. And he said, it is finished. He gave up his life knowing that many people still would not believe or would not understand. And in fact, even the apostles, right? It wasn't until they that he comes back and he teaches them and they see him, right? Especially doubting Thomas, right? Unless I see the nail scars, right? Unless I touch his side. And eight days later, Jesus shows up where Thomas was with the other apostles and he says, here, here I am. Go ahead. <laughs> and what did Thomas say? My Lord, my God. Because he got it. Values are caught. They're not necessarily taught. Um, so loving our brethren, it's something we learn to do. It's an art more than a science, even though there's certainly fact behind it. And, and in practice, we learn from our family, our friends. It's our—it's mothers teaching their children through their modeling and their behavior. It's fathers teaching how to interact and love out, people outside. Um, I, I believe moms make home, the home a nest. You know, dad builds the home, but mom makes it really home, you know. So there's something about that relationship. It's the relationship between the the, the the husband and wife where the kids learn how to treat their future spouse, right? And so you see in there this microcosm in the family unit. This is, you know, God, this is Jesus, this is the Spirit, this is the church in the larger uh, context. These are the things that scripture teaches. And in that in that milieu, in that mix, things are are, are passed on some by direct instruction, but mostly it's just the way of living. It's who we are. And let's be honest with ourselves. In that big context of church world, we're all beset with sins. We all have things we struggle with. We're all admitting that there's a certain amount of imperfection in everybody that we need Jesus to forgive. And the good news about that is if we can, you know, humble ourselves. Last night, my night sermon was humble or humbled. And uh, I was thinking of... Um, Uh, what is it, Terriath, when he stuffed uh, Kobe Bryant. But there's lots of stories you can think of when you you imagine, will you choose to be humble and not advertise, or will you choose to be humbled, which is kind of a forced thing. Well, if we love each other, we're going to humble ourselves because we don't want to be humbled by external force. Um, Notice also in Scripture, because think about this uh, also, um, tone, right? 90% of a lot of friction is caused by tone. Um, You come home from work late, or you come home and you're frustrated by work, and all of a sudden something comes out that's a little bit, it's not so much what was said, it's the way it came out. Does that follow? And all of a sudden there's this friction that didn't need to be there, because we chose to be unloving for that moment. And I think our brothers and sisters deserve a lot more um, respect in that regard, and, and a lot more grace in that regard. Well, the, in First Peter one twenty-two, you also see something that's very important, because loving our brethren means to love them sincerely and fervently from the heart. It's a heart matter. We true love uh, is loving God and, and loving His Word, if we love God and we love His Word, if we Love his word, we're loving God. So to know God is to know his word. To to know his word is to know God. Those things sound so circular, but they're, they, they're true. And the only way that we're going to know that is, one, if people teach us, but if we look also into the word ourselves and we see who God is, we see what his expectations are of us, and one of those things is that we love each other and treat each other with the same kind of respect that we would want to be treated with. And to fervently love someone, that means that I have to be devoted to them. That means I have to really put some effort out on my part, on our part, because it takes something from us inside to give so that we have that, um, have that love that, and show that it's real. Um, and it comes out in very practical ways, right? It comes out in lots of practical ways. It's, it's how we treat people, how we talk to them. It's the places we go, the things that we do. Um, it's what we say when we're on the phone um, or if we send emails. It's the kind of things that we feed ourselves outside, okay? What are we looking at? What are we listening to? All of that. And deep down inside, this is one of the big things that we're, we're struggling with as a whole culture right now in the American context, but even in the world context, and I don't know that this is new, but really lots of people are selfish. I want my way right now, right? <laughs> There's no room for anybody else because it's all about me. It's not about you, it's about God. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's about God. And as soon as we start to recognize that, we start to sacrifice our own life in service to Christ, and in doing so, we have to, do to, to serve others. Selfishness is so rampant, and it really, um, think about it, think of how many times um, you read in the media of how how that has led to, to crime and violence and just, just gen, this generic hatred sometimes that's living beneath the surface of the skin. And it really, really is something I hope we can work on because we will not conquer people with bombs and bullets. We will not conquer people because we're more powerful in, in terms of how much more violent we can be. We will conquer the world because we love them into the fold of the church. Jesus came not with guns and knives. He came with love. He sacrificed himself. The early church, many of those people died for loving Jesus and knowing that He was that He is the truth. Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they did it without, you know, ascending to political power. They didn't do it without form they did it without forming some kind of a gang or some kind of violent means. They did it by teaching the truth in Scripture. Jesus really is Lord. And to obey him has eternal benefit. You might think that gaining a short-term reward uh, by some short-term power is going to last, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Remember what Jesus said when Peter cut off the ear of Malchus. He says, those that live by the sword shall what? They shall die by the sword. Violence tends to breed more violence. Where if we're going to win this world over, it's going to be with love. It's not going to be with violence. So we come back to Hebrews 13.1. Let the love of the brethren continue. It's an act of will. It's something we have to reach down deep inside and say, I'm convicted of this. This is right. This is good. This is holy. And that brings up a question. (laughs) That question that you and I have is, well, then how do we do this? Intellectually, I I, I get this. This makes sense. The Bible says it. Jesus and God, that commanded that. So what do I do Practically. Let me show you just a couple of quick practical applications of this. And I'm sure there's others we could talk about. But in Hebrews 13, 2, it says this. So what we're supposed to do when we're around, um, when we're uh, uh, entertaining other people, it says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers because some have entertained angels unaware. Now, that's, uh, that sounds complicated or, or sounds, you know, like there's more to it than that. But let's just be honest, really practically speaking, if we are hospitable to other people, how do we know who we are necessarily serving per se and what the results of that might be? You might have heard the story, and it may be anecdotal. Feel free to, you know, I'm not shy about being debunked. I I, I do as much uh, searching for good stories and things to share as, as maybe you've read. Um, but there's a story where... Um, Trump's limo had broken down somewhere in the middle of nowhere, uh, and they couldn't find a tow truck, they couldn't find, it was it was a, an odd time of the day, there was nobody available. There was a man and his wife, and they were on their way into town, and they realized that this truck, this guy needed help, and so they pulled up, and they didn't know who was sitting in the back, it was the driver in the front that got out, and it turns out as, as this man had helped them change the tire and then got them on their way, that the window rolls down, and that they, the Trump asked them for their uh, data. You know what? Who are you? You know all that. Um, and supposedly, as the backstory of that goes, the 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 uh, couple had a mortgage with a company that he owned, and he helped pay off their mortgage. And all of a sudden, about a month later, they get the news. You know, oh my goodness, wow! And they get a written card with a thank you that said, "Thanks for helping us change the tire." It really, it was really a big help. Now, again, that's anecdotal. You may debunk that. That's fine. But, you know, think of stories that you know really are closer to home in your own heart where somebody's helped somebody else and you go, you know what, why did they do that? They did that because they were showing hospitality. That's what Christians do. That's just who we are. Um, I know a a story closer to home last week. I learned this one last week. I had a buddy of mine who was up in uh, Montana, and he was pulling a travel trailer big fifth wheel trailer and they blew a tire or no not they ran out of gas and unfortunately they had forgot to fill up the you know how usually when you travel you got extra everything they forgot to fill up their five gallon <laughs> tank well as it turns out um just down the road uh you'd have to walk but just down the road there was a farmer and they were they were cutting some hay and so they uh the driver you know the husband driver walked across the highway walked all the way over down into the fields and asked this guy for some help. Well, not only did the uh, farmer and his buddy who were cutting all this hay uh, take their truck and give them their five-gallon bucket, you know, in the back and make sure their truck would one, they drove them into town in their truck and filled it up full and said, uh, you, can't, you, you can't pay us for any of this, just take it. And even though they were travelers and they were they wanted to, he tried. He, he said, I tried to give him $50, the cost to fill up the tank. He said he wouldn't take it. He refused many times. You know, that's just who people are, right? When you're a Christian, you just do what is right. That's showing hospitality. You have no idea what the benefit will come down the road. Maybe you and I will never get a benefit. And sometimes we think that way, right? We want, We go, I'm helping you because I hope I get something right over here. Well, maybe it won't. Maybe it's a heavenly treasure. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus talks about your right hand and your left hand, right? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? So sometimes you don't know what the, the, the result will be down the road, but you know, because it says right after that, that you're storing treasure where? Up in heaven. So maybe it's just a little deposit in the bank account in heaven, and you can know that God sees that. And, of course, you know, if he doesn't reward you right now, you have a heavenly reward. How many of you, if you make it into heaven, you're going to complain? Anybody? Yeah, no. <laughs> you're like, no. <laughs> of course not. We make it into heaven. We're not going to argue with God. We're going to be glad that we're there. That's really what Hebrews thirteen two is all about. Practicing how you're going to live now like you want to live then. And think about this in Scripture. Jonathan loved David, right? Remember when Saul saw the relationship between Jonathan and David, he wouldn't let David go back home to be a shepherd. He took him into the, into the palace and raised him as his own. Um, think about the relationship between uh, John and Jesus. Remember John in the book of John, and when he describes himself, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, I didn't say Jesus didn't love the other, but at the, one of the closest ones to Jesus was John the Apostle. And when they're reclining at the table in the Book of John, where they are, where Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, they're laying around that big table and they're enjoying a meal. And so they would. And, and where was John reclining? Scripture says he was reclining in the bosom of Jesus, right? Because that was an intimate setting. They'd be laying down, reclining at the table. They'd be eating the food, and as it was being served, and they were enjoying each other's company. There was nothing. Nothing, nothing negative about any of that. That was the sharing of an intimate meal together, enjoying fellowship, showing hospitality to one another as they were eating and preparing. Um, uh, think about this, holding hands. Um, one of my favorite stories is Manhattan Church of Christ. Uh, there's a, an older lady, and she is at, uh, she sat in the front row right here for years and years and years and years. And, and was never wasn't baptized every Sunday she'd hear the invitation right if you if anybody has, needs prayers of the church they need to obey the gospel message and be baptized the water's ready um, every church I've ever been in there's a baptismal if you want to get baptized we want you to know the gospel and, and be baptized finally one Sunday she decides it's her Sunday and she gets up and says I want to be baptized of course everybody's ecstatic so she's baptized and They're welcoming her as everybody's walking out, you know, to go home for after worship that Sunday, and so they asked her. They said, "Well, why today? What made this day the day, you know, that just tripped the trigger, right?" And she goes, "Yetta is the only one who would hold my hand when I would walk across the street. That was it. Isn't that strange? To you and I, right? Isn't that strange?" But here it is. The one thing that clicked, that tripped her trigger was one church member showing love to another person. And then finally, when all of that just clicked, and for her it, made, it took longer, and some people it takes longer, some people it's short, but it clicked, and she gets up and says, today's my day. Isn't that neat? Hold, just, just one act of kindness. So this is your challenge for today. This is your challenge for today. Find some people to and help them be loved into the church. Find somebody, somebody that you're close to, and help them to understand who Jesus is. Help them to know that they can go to church. They can worship God. They can learn about Him. If you want to have a Bible study, call me. I'll come over. I don't mind. I like studying the Bible. It's one of my favorite things to do. Back um, about two years ago, there's a gentleman uh, from Harvard. His name's Clay Christensen, and he gave a uh, talk, a TED talk you ever watched a TED Talk? They're about 20 minutes long, roughly. Well, he has a book that he published called The Measure of Your Life. And in The Measure of Your Life, he says um, that, that God, when he ha- you have your appointment with him, right? Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for man once to die, then to face judgment. So when you and I have our appointment with God, it's not going to be uh, how successful we were in our eyes, and he's a business guy from Harvard, so he studies business models and all you know how economies work and all that. He says it's not your ROI, your return on investment. It's not your IRR. It's not going to be how you've you know risen in the org chart to become president or whatever. It's not going to be the size and square footage of your house. Certainly, it's not going to be how shiny your car is. He said the measure of your life when you go and you have your appointment with God is going to be. God and there'll be this little, you know, viewing and he's gonna rewind and say, So how did you do? I put you in this situation over here to help this person over here. How did you do with that? And fast forward a little bit and he's gonna say, Well, how about this situation over here? I, I put you in this situation to help this person, how did you do with that? Fast forward a little more and he's gonna say, Well, what happened over here? How did you do with that? And it's not the things, it's going to be the people. It's going to be the relationships. How did we show love to people? How did we show hospitality to people? That's going to be the appointment and the question that God asks. Because the measure of our life is not going to be in ROI. It's not going to be in bank accounts. It's going to be in how much we've loved people. So you're invited. There's an invitation, and I have a, a, a short short song after this to sing with you. And, and my challenge is to make sure you're right with God before you meet him. And if it's something that you can encourage your family and your friends in, I would encourage you, say something, let them know. Because I think God wants to see all people in heaven, but he's made a pathway that we have to follow, and it's in the scriptures. We can study that to know that. So that's your challenge for today. All right.